0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage, Captain Picard the Enterprise. Captain Picard of the Enterprise. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast hosted by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm of Pranica. Oh right, I'm Ben Harrison. I forgot to announce myself. You know,
1: how confusing that would be for our our large viewership. <laughs> to listen to a show and not know who we were.
0: Yeah, I don't really know why we say our names. Like it's not like we have any any like fame to trade-off of I know oh, why we say the Star our Trek names. podcast with Adam Pranica well <laughs> it's a professional
1: restaurant style show open that's that's why we do it we do yeah. it because we should and there are rules here
0: Ben okay this is not nom
1: <laughs> there are rules to recording good pod and that's one of them
0: we do it because we want you to know that we have only local farm-raised beef that is hormone free and certified organic you can really taste the difference in our pod yeah. Did you get any mail, Ben? I don't have any mail to open this week. I feel like we've been opening a lot of mail, though. Yeah, Do you have mail? I got a box. Yeah. <laughs> You've got mail? I keep getting mail. Let's go ahead and dive into it, Adam. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. Captain,
2: I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency.
1: Captain's eyes only. All right. This is a box from northfield ohio and listener ross and uh this isn't a knock on ross i want to be clear about that this uh this box appears to have gone through some shit (laughs) all right we have a note a note that says may they bring you joy luck and plentiful gach love the (laughs) show thanks for everything you do matt and ross I think I know what these are by their shape (laughs) And they are most certainly Star Trek The Next Generation Hamilton Collection plates Oh Uh, nice Looks looks like there's a big stack of them here Whoa! The one on top is for The episode The Best of Both Worlds A very Very interesting looking Picard (laughs) In a couple of different (laughs) places on this plate uh, he looks to be wearing a lot of makeup. Is this the same
0: line of commemorative plates that you gave me a wharf plate from?
1: It is. It is the same. Ha! Okay, next episode is All Good
0: Things. The plate. <laughs> I've always wanted a plate version of that.
1: The answer to the question, how many Picards can you put on one plate, is three. <laughs> three Picards. Oh, 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 and a oh. Denise Crosby... That does not look like Denise Crosby at all.
0: I feel like they have a tougher time capturing the essences of the female characters.
1: All right, it looks like we got the third and final plate.
0: Like, how many bad paintings of Troy have you seen?
1: All of the paintings of Troy are bad, I believe. Yeah. Okay, uh, and the final plate, final of third, is Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, Wow. (laughs) All of the... Male characters on every one of these plates are extremely effeminate-looking, like like <laughs> eyeliner-style effeminate. Wow, and that's not a knock about uh, about femininity and masculinity. It's more about accuracy and uh, right. And also, I don't remember Pistu having just a cavernous dimple on his chin, as is <laughs> as is painted on the Hamilton Collections encounter at, Thou- encounter at Farpoint plate.
0: Man, Encounter at Farpoint would be a great hair metal band. Yeah. And I would imagine that that band would rock a good bit of eyeliner. So maybe, uh, maybe it's kind of like a, uh, a fan theory or, <laughs> or some kind of slash fiction in plate form.
1: The thing I like maybe best of all about what the Hamilton collection is doing here is that uh, you know these plates are limited edition because they tell you that a number of times. But it's not not an amount like limited to 500 plates. It's the amount of firing days they had to make them. (laughs) So this is a plate made in one of the 28 firing days that were allowed the Hamilton collection in order to create these Wow so we have no idea how many plates there are but we can Mm. be damn sure that there were only 28 firing days
0: (laughs) 28 firing days in which we made 1 million plates a day
1: (laughs) wow well Matt and Ross thank you very much for these beautiful plates Another bit of merch that I will have to hide from my wife. <laughs> a, a growing collection that is starting to become a problem,
0: I think. <laughs> I'm starting to look at all the all of the Star Trek crap I have in my house now and thinking about the fact that I have to move 3,000 miles pretty soon.
1: I'm super pumped about the plates because I like the idea of putting them on a wall. Yeah. Like, grandma's house style.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, getting them up off of a counter and out of the way, I think, is the move. And I think plates are, I think I've said this before,
0: the most hilarious bit of merch that this show did. There's nothing better than a commemorative plate, and if if you were ever going to put up something to kind of offset how absurd our tour posters are, <laughs> it would be a commemorative plate, probably.
1: We should consider that. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Matt and Ross really rolled the dice on that pack job, by the way. Because uh, <laughs> the plates were just wrapped in paper in a, like, and loosely packed in a cardboard box. <laughs> so. uh, we know a couple of things about Matt and Ross. One, they're collectors of fine porcelain plates. Mm-hmm. And another is they have a great amount of trust in the United States Postal Service. So good for them. My thanks to Matt and Ross... Very decent listeners, which uh, gives me just the right pivot to turn the page to our episode today, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> the season finale of season six, Can You Believe It? Season six, episode 26, Decent, part one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're way too pleased with that joke. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you
1: could feel the pleasure like two sentences before I said it.
0: Is that your review of the episode, Adam? Eh, pretty decent. first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, scientific truth, or historical truth, or personal truth. Well, this one opens with one of the most iconic Star Trek scenes of all time. I think, which is Data playing poker with Isaac Newton.
2: Can we get this over with, please?
0: Einstein.
2: Uh, perhaps we should return to the game. Mm-hmm.
0: And real Stephen Hawking.
2: I raise 50. Blast. I fold.
0: Is this
1: one of the iconic TNG scenes?
0: I, I feel like it is a, a powerful image that is, like, remembered about TNG, you know? Like, the fact that, that they did this. I don't think it, that necessarily endorses it or, or whatever, but I feel, like, uh, I feel like when people think about TNG, this is something that, that comes up. It's also a really fun
1: dinner party question-style answer here because <laughs> Data's kind of using the holodeck as a who are the four people you'd love to have dinner with, alive or dead? <laughs> and it made me think, like, who are the who are the three people that you would want to play poker with, alive or dead? Ben, can you can you come up with those off the top of your head? It's well, a tough I, don't, question, I huh? don't.
0: I don't like gambling, and poker becomes too boring for me too quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I think I think my answer is nobody. <laughs> Is that also your answer to
1: the uh, alive or dead dinner party question? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That that would be so amazing. Chatting up a stranger.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a bit like Larry David where I just don't even understand why it has to happen in the first place. (laughs) It seems like way too much trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you get it catered, it's like, you know... I always wind up talking to the person I know the least well, because I feel like I need to go out of my way to include them in everything. Are you into Moshi Kasher at all, the stand-up comedian?
1: Oh, sure. Have you heard his brilliant Stephen Hawking impression? His brilliant and vulgar and awful (laughs) Stephen Hawking impression? No. Oh, my God. Uh, He was on Pete Holmes' You Made It Weird podcast a couple years ago, and... Like, I will return to that clip from time to time if I wow. want to laugh until I cry. It is really <laughs> fucked up.
0: Like, That's interesting. There's, it's an impression
1: I, that you think you shouldn't be able to do. It yeah, just seems impossible.
0: I, I am a fan of a couple of... Uh, I'm not like a huge fan of the Fallon uh, talk show. Uh-huh. But I am a huge fan of a bunch of people that write on that show. Yeah. And uh, a couple of them had a a Vine uh, gag that they would return to repeatedly when Vine was a, a social network that people mentioned.
1: RSVP Vine.
0: Where one of them would just sit limply in a chair and they would play like their computer saying a Stephen Hawking <laughs> thing. And uh, Is it wrong it that was, I'm
1: laughing at that?
0: It was exquisitely vulgar and very funny every time.
1: Yeah, as vulgar as our show is, I cannot emphasize enough how vulgar and inappropriate and offensive this impression is. So know that before going in if you decide to search it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the <laughs> you know, it's one of those one of those comedic premises that is uh kind of going you're going to have to look past the fact that it's a bit of a down punch. <laughs>
1: So I guess Data isn't allowed to play poker with the crew anymore. He's been, <laughs> uh, he's been banished and decides to play with... Uh, he
2: decides to do a little
1: barkley with some real-life figures.
0: The bet is
2: seven to me. The bet is ten. Can't you do simple arithmetic?
1: Not a surprise. Stephen Hawking wins. He's got a hell of a poker face.
0: It's kind of weird that he wins, right? Like he, he he's like the the one that's the real one. I guess maybe if you're Stephen Hawking, you have to just not be embarrassed by this, but if if somebody's like, "Hey, we wrote a thing that's premised on you being as smart as Einstein and Newton." <laughs> Do you wanna come do you wanna come like have us say that about you in person and thereby like sort of implicitly endorse that statement? Like there's no way he's a modest hand? person because he's in this, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, like we can assume that Stephen Hawking has a bit of a fucking attitude.
1: Like how long do you think Data spent teaching Ike Newton how to play cards, too?
0: <laughs> we can call him Ike Newton, can't we? I think playing cards existed in Newton's time yeah because they're like based on they're based on like medieval uh imagery, right the spade is the is the surf and sure the, and the club is the is the clergy and shit
1: yeah, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. I just imagine that being profoundly frustrating to teach those guys how to play
0: <laughs> yeah but once you once you teach them like the kind of probabilities of any given hand. Like, who better than those guys, right?
1: Not only is the real Stephen Hawking not modest enough to turn this part down, the part <laughs> calls for him to big dog the other two great geniuses in history. He right. big dogs Albert Einstein and <laughs> Ike Newton. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that... Here's the here's the catch-22, though, Adam. Like, you can't cast somebody as Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you really can't. Like, you can't get... You can't bring in a young Moshe Kasher and do Stephen Hawking. Pretty
1: interesting that we get credits over the cold open. I found it fairly jarring. Did
0: you notice that? It was weird. There's a lot jarring about this episode. Yeah. This is one of them. I mean, it's weird that suddenly at the end of season six, they're like, hey, we had episodes before this and things happened in them. And now we can reference all of those things. Yeah. Like. They they sort of did it with the uh, wharf Brings Kales Back to Life episode, and now they're like, holy shit, there is so much potential to the idea that an episode doesn't have to be a bottle episode.
1: Early on in the series, I think we were both lamenting how binging the series really revealed a lot of its flaws early on, and when you just consume that much of the show at once, like, it is in-volume not great. <laughs> and I think I think when you binge season six and seven, I think you're starting to see it cut the other way, which is like you're used to a show being a, a certain way and, and prescribed to certain rules. And now it's breaking its own rules. Right. And I don't think that that is something that I would have noticed had I watched the show week in and week out.
0: Did you notice that this is the same Einstein as Lieutenant Barclay? was conferring with in the episode where he gets super smart
1: oh I did not know that yeah
0: same dude
1: just glad it wasn't the guy who played Mark Twain
0: yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that they were able to make an Einstein that wasn't a, a like that guy only has disgusting. one impression
1: they stick him in the <laughs> Einstein wig and he's like Mr. Data I can see you're taking three cuts.
2: you must not like your hand E equals MC squared.
1: <laughs> Pretty sure Albert Einstein didn't, didn't smoke giant cigars either. Though maybe he did. <laughs> Imagination we- is more important than knowledge. Look at you coming back around at the Twain impression. I think it's funny
0: if it's Einstein. Oh, really?
1: Okay. hmm <laughs>
0: Try not to become a man of success, but rather become a man of value. Insanity
1: is when you try a thing expecting different results.
0: <laughs> Two things are infinite the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe.
1: Oh, got a little Cosby creep in that one. <laughs>
0: The premise of this game is quickly squandered and the winning hand is, is had by Stephen Hawking. Data gets called up to the bridge on important actual ship's business. So he uh, he shuts off the holodeck and heads on up. They've gotten a distress call from an outpost and the away team beams down and like they beam down into a... just kind of like... Totally generic Starfleet room And what seems weird about it is Everybody died sitting at their desk (laughs) It's like It almost looks like they got gassed, not shot But they got shot, right?
1: Yeah As if they had all suffered aneurysms And then fell in place But except they have scorch marks all over them Yeah That's part of what they're trying to figure out Like they They guessed at one point that they could be uh, Ferengi weapons.
2: Hmm. These wounds were caused by a forced plasma beam, similar to a Ferengi hand phaser.
1: And no one laughs at that. Yeah. <laughs> Ferengis. <laughs> weapons. You mean uh, the joke of the galaxy? <laughs> I don't think so.
0: <laughs> you mean those idiots with the ears? <laughs> yeah, right. There's a great reveal when Data does the... Han and Leia trying to get the door open mm-hmm. Trick I think I got it I got it And instead of A second door closing The door opens and on the other side Of it is
1: a Borg He's a Borg Oh no! A single Borgs is behind that door And as soon as He is revealed the Borgs you don't see On either side <laughs> Come at you from the sidespin
2: Clever girl
0: They hunt in packs, Adam. Well, we come back from the title sequence, and we're in, like, as hot a firefight as this show ever shows. The thing that this episode is depending on
1: is this level of shock, right? It's sort of like a Dawn of the Dead reveal of fast Mm -hmm. zombies. You (laughs) have up until now expected slow Borgs. And to see fast Borgs running around and doing... What's that form of gymnastics where you're, like, jumping off of buildings and then, like,
0: jumping off of walls and stuff? Gymkata?
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's that. But, yeah, they're, like... That's
0: the one, that's the one that has uh, gymnastics, thrills, and karate kills at them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's that kind of fight scene. And they've got, like, (laughs) mini torpedo launchers, like what Spider-Man would have, shooting the web. They're shooting little mini torps out.
0: I don't know if I remember the Borgs ever doing much shooting. It seems like they were always just kind of converging with their crazy tool arms. And and these guys are, like, ducking and doing shoulder rolls. And And Star Trek fighting, too. Like, they're going hand-to-hand. Licking shots in the atmosphere. And they don't seem, they're not, there's a whole bunch about them that is off. Like, they're not behaving the way Borgs normally do on a whole bunch of levels. One of which is they're, like, talking. One of them is identifying the ethnicities of everybody out loud, which seems really problematic. Biological
2: organism, Klingon biological organism
1: human. It's like when you go out to dinner in public with like an elderly relative who really shouldn't be out in public. (laughs) Or like a very small child who just learned how to talk and they're like pointing at people and describing what they are. That's not polite.
0: My wife was telling me about an indigent person who hangs out outside the subway stop that she gets off at to go to work sometimes. And he just Sits at the top of the of the stairs, and everybody that walks by, he goes Mexican, Mexican. Everybody gets that description, or just Mexicans? Everybody.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is so dumb. (laughs) I know that I I feel terrible because does he does he hold that R like
0: like and spool it up the way you did? I've only, I've only, you know, I have it secondhand. I feel bad because he's probably mentally ill, but, uh, but it is like a really fun bit of business. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's
1: doing his own very incorrect census.
0: Right. Our, this is the episode where everybody starts to hate us, right, Adam? Yep. <laughs> we made it, we made it to the end of season six and then all of our viewers were like, wow, these guys actually are kind of assholes. <laughs> This is an answer to the question, why don't you
1: guys just do a general subject free-form conversation <laughs> podcast that isn't about a show? What would that sound like? Well, it would sound like this. Mexican! <laughs> Mexican! Oh, be quiet, Grandpa. My, my love is a for that which longer nurse has the me In this fucking firefight, and it is a firefight, Worf and Riker get pinned down pretty fast, and Data, being Data, is is somewhat out in the open grappling with some people, and he grabs some guy by the throat. He grabs one of these Borgs by the throat and lifts him up like Undertaker style before winging him into a wall.
0: Now, Adam, we've gotten a couple of emails about this, and I don't know if you knew this, but it's not, like, technically speaking, it's not actually Borgs. It's Borg, singular. Hmm. Because it's a collective conscience. It's going to take a long time to get used to, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, he's got this Borgs and he is like choking him out. He does the Batman slash Darth Vader thing of lifting him up off of his feet to choke him.
1: Yeah. I thought at first he was going to rip his throat out roadhouse style.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Roadhouse invented that, but MacGruber made it famous.
2: <laughs> right. Throat lozenges. You're going to want to take the whole box. Awesome. Got another throat rip in.
1: You know, my wife has never seen MacGruber. And what? I, That's and a I, tragedy. I, The thing about that is I love that movie so much that if I were to sit her down and we were to watch it together and she hated it, I think it would have relationship compromising consequences. (laughs) Like, I don't know if we could recover from that. So I've sort of put it off. I'll
0: watch Magrubu with you
1: anytime, buddy. God, I love that movie so
2: much. It's so good.
1: And so Data stands there like sort of after having murdered this Borgs is like satisfactorily nodding his head and looking around like, yeah, look at me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does that like, pats his, his chest and puts his arms out like
1: yeah what's up like come nick, at me bro like nick cage in the commissary in face off <laughs> 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 yeah
0: <laughs> fun stuff yeah meanwhile i think like while this firefight is still going on the entrepreneur has engaged a very strange starship in orbit a strange and huge starship it's a
1: ship you might recognize from the Star Trek The Next Generation pinball game.
0: Yeah, I mean, that must be where they got the idea from.
1: Yeah, that's what I think.
0: <laughs> it looks like there's kind of a central thing that's like a hexagonal volume, but then there's like bits that that come off of it. And it's clearly just a billion times bigger than The Entrepreneur, because even though it's fairly far away, it still dwarfs our uh, our beloved ship in frame. What do you think of and this there- ship, Ben? I mean, like, there's... I have so many questions about this ship. Like, why is it shaped the way it is? Like, does that have... Because, like, the, the cube kind of has a... is couched in some ideas about what the Borgs are about. Right. And this ship seems to be just a random shape. And also, like, where did they build it and when?
1: <laughs> yeah, I really could have used more story here. And I... and. In the absence of story, it could have been sort of a kit-bashed Borg cube, and then they wouldn't have had to explain anything at all. You would you would see it and go, well, yeah, there's, like, Borg ship elements there. But right. it looked so foreign to what the Borg are <laughs> that it almost didn't register at all to me,
0: other than just being big. I think that the thing that could have made this more Borgy is if they had gone with fewer, like clean panels and more pipes and wires you know because there's like some sections of it where there's lots of pipes and wires but a lot of it is is kind of like looks like it's made out of sheet metal it's got a smooth exterior and that just doesn't read as as a Borg construction mode
1: I also didn't think that the remastered version did this ship any favors I don't know if it was just my copy of the app. Or what? Yeah, you
0: can see that the ship is kind of aging. Some some pancake makeup on the ship is not concealing <laughs> some of the blemishes quite as well as you would want.
1: It digitally looked like it had some more on it. Like, it, it didn't look right in the recomp hmm. uh, on my TV, but maybe that was just me.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe you have a terrible TV. Who knows? Maybe I do. As this ship is jetting out of the system... The entrepreneur attempts to fire torpedoes at it. Captain, the alien ship is breaking orbit. Plot and intercept course, Ensign. Fire torpedoes. They're gone, sir. But it kind of like blinks out of existence. Doesn't go to warp. And so they're like, huh. Seems like they have found a way to travel uh, without using... Warping, and that is a big problem for us. You are a ship a
1: hundred times bigger than the entrepreneur. You have trans warp capabilities and weapons beyond your competition. Why mm-hmm. did they bug out other than to help further the story?
0: Well, I think. Here's here's my head canon on it Adam. and maybe I'm being too forgiving to the writers but I think that they're mainly fucking around with federation stations to attract the entrepreneur yeah and thereby attract data and thereby put data under this spell right. that he gets put under so their their work is kind of done like blowing up the en- enterprise doesn't actually advance their like it, it would actually slow down their plot because they need him to like follow them. Right, right. So that's uh maybe too forgiving but that's my that's my little headcanon.
1: All right, I'll go along with it.
0: Thank you. What Thank other you, choice Adam? do I have? <laughs> None. I have a dustbuster at your temple right now. I am
2: as a You will assist us. I am a of all.
0: So they have a McLaughlin group, at him. Issue one! They're trying to get to the bottom of what is going on here, because they have met some Borgs that don't act like Borgs.
1: And this is strange to Picard. Picard immediately jumps to the conclusion of, like, well, does Hugh have anything to do with this? Like, right. he's the only Borg that we remember uh, being separated from the Collective and sort of constructing his own personality and identity. Maybe that... Maybe the virus worked.
0: Right, but it doesn't seem to have made them any less a threat because they're still going around killing entire stations full of people.
1: Yeah, oops.
0: (laughs) To some extent, the the virus, you know, the virus did part of what we wanted, but not the other part. And... uh, And that, like, pretty precipitously, Admiral Nechev is on board, like, barking at Picard, going, like, why the fuck didn't you kill all the Borgs when you had an opportunity to kill all the Borgs?
1: Admiral Nechev gets knocked around for not being super pleasant to be in the same room as, but (laughs) completely right
0: here, right? Completely right, yeah. I thought that this was a pretty interesting scene. I mean, I... like Nacheyev showed up for the chain of command arc, right? That yeah. was her yeah. f- her first introduction, so that happened after I Borg, if my memory serves me
2: I've read the report that you submitted to Admiral Brooks last year regarding the Borg you called Hugh
0: so it's a bit of a retcon because she's kind of acting like that happened after she and Picard met. I mean I guess I guess they could have met and it not been I don't know. it just seemed weird that that uh, the timing was was the way it was. I'm sure Picard was just happy to get past
1: the first 10 seconds not having been relieved of command. Yeah. Because that's sort of her move,
0: right? She beams on board and relieves you. This also sort of foreshadows some stuff that happens in the movie First Contact because she sets up like, okay, we're going to start patrolling for Borgs. You're going to be in charge of... Uh, battle group number three, and yeah. <laughs> I will be re- reassigning flagship duties to the Gorkon.
1: Yeah, that's a fun callback.
0: Yeah. How'd you
1: like to be stationed on the Crazy Horse, though?
0: <laughs> Man, if you had to pick Gorkon or Crazy Horse, w- which do you go for?
1: Crazy Horse does not sound like a chill ship. <laughs>
0: I also cringed at Agamemnon because it reminded me of the time I played Agamemnon in the school play and they put dark makeup on me. Any chance you
1: get to refer to your illustrious, award-winning acting career, Ben?
0: This was uh, back when I had any, any fancy that I could act. I didn't like Agamemnon when Brad Pitt played him either. <laughs> <laughs> That is one thing I have in common with Brad Pitt is, like, not only are we both bad at playing crazy, but uh, we also have both portrayed Greeks. (laughs) (laughs) He gets gets more tan than I do, though. Yeah. I mean, a a little bit more plausible for him, maybe. Fractionally more plausible for him. It makes sense here, and it
1: makes sense in First Contact, Ben. Like, not sure you want... This guy leading the fleet, uh, W slash R slash T, Borgs are involved.
0: He doesn't have any, like, any reason to resist any of what Necheyev is telling him. And he's he's basically just saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And one of the orders that she gives him before she leaves is, like, should, should another opportunity to xenocide all Borgs <laughs> arise?
2: You are under orders to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah. He gets another chance, I
0: guess. <laughs> what else is she gonna do? I don't know. I mean it's the best ship, right? Yeah. Like they can't just they can't I suppose I suppose they could have pulled Jellico out of the uh, out of mothballs and put him back in charge. And it would be hilarious anytime
1: the entrepreneur is called into something like heady, they just swap <laughs> out captains.
0: <laughs> Jellico's the all time quarterback. He's like Dennis Eckersley. He's he's in there to like clean up, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jellico being the Dennis Eckersley of Starfleet is the sort of description <laughs> you could only get on The Greatest Generation.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the B story happening here is that Data's trying to figure out through his black box recorder, what exactly happened when he lost his temper and and killed that guy on the surface. I got angry. And in a very data kind of way, he does the exact same thing over and over and over again, trying to get some semblance of a different response. And he yeah, does he
0: got some some perhaps strange advice from the counselor, which is like Go do more of that. If if you got if you got angry and vengeful, like like take a deep dive. And so he's running this super kinky holodeck program where he just repeatedly kills the same Borg. Stop, stop, stop.
1: Thinking that is not a great draw for an actor is a guy getting choked and thrown against a wall
0: sixty times. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that that guy had to audition? <laughs> it's a tough day at the what, office. What do the sides for that for that audition look like?
1: <laughs> Congratulations. You've been given the role of 13 of 17. Uh, we're going to sit you here in this barber's chair uh, for about 14 hours of makeup, and then we're going to throw you against a wall about 40
0: times. I can only imagine what this guy that had... To- <laughs> Had to put on all the Borg loaf. It's not really loaf, I guess, but it it works like loaf.
1: A fun bit of like Holodeck trivia here is that Jordy walks in and sees this experiment run, and data has been jacking up the difficulty level to like past all Madden settings. And he's <laughs> like, "Look, uh, I can't go past a certain threshold without a second senior officer okaying it." So if you could just sign underneath my signature, we can go into a level that heretofore I haven't (laughs) been able to experience. And Jordy's like, even for you, this is a little much, man. Like, do you think it's worth dying on a holodeck to see if you can feel anger again? I don't think so. Jordy, a man who has done some really fucked up shit on a holodeck, has finally found his threshold.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he goes from, am I interrupting something? To, like, ooh, <laughs> last person that held a phaser to my head and asked me to sign on this line was Riker, and uh, I'm still, like, reeling from that. What happens at the end of this scene? So I think this is when they, they like, catch this this Borg ship again. They've been getting false alarm emergency action messages, and finally they're getting, like, a real properly formatted message, and the Borgs have attacked again, and it's like they are the closest ship again. Doesn't it seem strange to you that there have been two Borg attacks and the Enterprise has been the nearest ship in both instances? So they chase this, the, uh, the Borgs this time, and the Borgs ship blinks out of existence, and the entrepreneur follows it through the hole that it's made in space. And they're like in this space butthole for a little while. It kind of looks like the, uh, the bad dream that Deanna Troy had.
1: Yeah, the eyes in the dark dream.
0: Yeah, and they they come out the other side, and they're, like, super, super far from where they started. Yeah, scary far. I think they say 65 light years from where they started. So they shouldn't have been able to travel this far in this amount of time. And I guess this is where they, they, like, they get in a firefight where the ship is, it shoots something at them, and it... Like, when the thing hits, Borgs materialize on the bridge, so it's like a transporter projectile <laughs> or something. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah. They get two guys, and they kill one of them. The other one survives, and they they put him in the brig. And it's like almost like Necheyev foresaw this happening. <laughs> like they have another Borgs to monkey around with in the brig. How
1: about Worf shooting from the hip at the top of the horseshoe? Like, (laughs) there's a lot of phaser fire on the bridge here, and he just sort of, like, wings a shot (laughs) downrange.
0: Yeah. Got to be careful. Data's sitting right there.
1: Since their first encounter with uh, the Borg's ship earlier on in the episode, they've stationed security people on the bridge, which I think is probably a good idea uh, henceforth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty wise. Yeah.
1: So this guy they have in the brig is named Croesus, who is notable because his eyepiece looks exactly like the brooch as Wharf has on his sash, and his six pack, like his Borg six pack that you get when you're assimilated, yeah, is instead of attached to his abdomen, it's attached to his codpiece. Did you notice how he was moving? Like, he had sort of, like, his six-pack was up away from his body. And so when he walked, it didn't move, but his body moved behind it. It was a really weird-looking effect.
0: It is weird. Yeah. Um, this this episode uh, begins a two-episode arc that is basically Star Trek's statement of, it's not Batman abs, it's Borg abs. Right. And uh, and Croesus is in here, like, basically proselytizing he's he's uh he's talking to data the way a religious missionary would talk to somebody who's having a hard time in and is kind of vulnerable to suggestion
2: i was like you once without feeling but the one helped me he can help you, too. He can help you find emotion.
0: Data is especially vulnerable because Krosis reaches over and presses a button on his arm, and this, like, little green light turns on, and suddenly Data is having the same feelings that he was having when he was in that fight before.
1: Krosis is proselytizing <laughs> is really, like, sing-songingly emotional. Like, he sounds like, he sounds really Joel Osteen. <laughs> but like robot voice, Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. <laughs> and to see him all made up as a Borgs and talking this way is yeah. just uh, the incongruency there is just bizarre.
0: God wants you to be rich. <laughs> Don't forget to give me 10% of your income. <laughs> Get a load of my crazy teeth. <laughs> This is a weird scene, not least of which uh, because of the excessive use of a split diopter shot where Data, like, turns away from the Borg, and it is, like, a total telenovela frame where they've got a split diopter so that the Borg and Data are both in focus. And Data is, like, having almost, like, sexual reaction to the feelings coursing through him. If it meant
2: that you could feel emotions again, would you kill Jordy?
0: Yes.
1: I would. Brent Spiner is having a sexual reaction to the production choice of a split diopter. (laughs) Real quick, a split diopter lens is a lens with where one half is of a certain focal length and the other half is of a different and either closer or further away focal length. And so things that are closer and further away can be in focus at the same time.
0: You see it used well in things all the time. It's a it's a totally like uh, acceptable yeah, technique, a, but yeah. they really never use it on this show. So it, it, it stood out. And then the kind of context in which they whip it out in this episode is just so fucking extreme
1: yeah i mean ideally you want production choices like this to help tell the story or help emphasize a feeling but like i'm not sure if you need Croesus literally crawling out of data's head like visually to sell the idea that he is getting in data's head
0: yeah like it's definitely meant to evoke like devil on the shoulder Mm mm-hmm But the thing that it evokes, in fact, is telenovelas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Croesus is like, hey, you should get involved with my new Borgs religion and succumb to the will of the One. And Dana's like, no, no, senor,
2: no (laughs) puedes.
1: (laughs) Why don't you get back on the 110? Down to San Vicente where you belong. I don't know why they leave him alone with any prisoner. Like, it feels like in modern law enforcement rules that leaving a prisoner alone with a warden or an officer or something is generally frowned upon, right?
0: Yeah, you're, you're asking for trouble. You want there to be a lot of, like, eyewitnesses to anything that happens.
1: Yeah. So... There is an eyewitness in this scene, and it is a Bajoran Brig employee back there, who I guess just isn't paying attention to anything (laughs) that's happening.
0: You feel like they invented Bajorans because they were like, God, I am getting sick of putting all this fucking loaf on everybody.
1: I think they invented Bajorans for Michelle Forbes, who is the greatest. Got to get Michelle Forbes back on the show. Too bad she's not in this episode. I know. She wouldn't put up with Krosis' guff.
0: Well, they figure out how to open these Borg space buttholes, and they go through one, and they find the planet that all of the Borg operations have been launched from. And uh, they beam down, and it's Planet San Diego. <laughs> yeah, this episode's sponsored by the San Diego Tourism Board. <laughs> There's, like, California poppies in the background. It's just, like, oak savanna as far as the eye can see. It's real pretty. <laughs> it's, it's It is pretty. It's just, like, come on, guys. Like, fucking go to a different state. Ever. <laughs> if you're a new alien race and you're looking for a home world,
1: I don't think you could do much better than Planet San Diego.
0: <laughs> a fresh start away to, to. Did Data steal the shuttle already at this point? Or Yeah. Data Did I gloss over that? <laughs>
1: Data and Croesus Jake a shuttle and then they go through the portal and the entrepreneur follows closely. And they, yeah. they follow the path of this shuttle to Planet San Diego. Where they don't just send some away teams, they empty the ship onto the planet.
0: Yeah, th- they put all active Starfleet personnel minus a skeleton crew captained by Dr. Crusher onto the surface of this planet looking for data in the shuttle. And did you notice that uh
1: Data shuttle was the Elbaz, the original Malibu Picard shuttle?
0: Oh, I didn't notice that.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. So that one's got some miles, is what I'm saying.
0: the years. <laughs> The mileage. Picard's orders for Beverly are basically like, get the fuck out of here if that ship ever shows up. And uh, don't worry about us. Like we are we're taking a calculated risk here, but your orders are to get the ship back to Federation Space.
1: Beverly's got that look on her face.
0: It's like, gulp. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome scene. Like it's it's one of those like who's gonna be in command of the of the ship, smash cut to <laughs> to Beverly taking this awesome responsibility on her shoulders. And then that is the last we hear of what's going on with the ship because we're down on planet San Diego for the rest of the episode, like crawling around on the hills, poking around in the shuttle, and they find this crazy building that looks like a church that was designed by a star architect in the 80s. And this this building is like heavily shielded So they, you know, can't figure out what's going on inside it And they walk in and it's like The craziest religious temple type setup And in walk like a, a million Borgs And out walks Data in knitwear Batman armor He's
1: got like a generic Oakland Raiders uniform <laughs>
0: and they're like Data
2: that's not data.
0: What? Turns out, Adam, it lore. The
1: iconography in this room, I found uh, a little bit problematic. <laughs> Whenever you have some tapestries with black, red, and white symbols on them, yeah, mm. yeah, little little skin crawly.
0: Well, they are bad guys, Adam.
1: Oh yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I love the idea that new Borgs, like N-U-Umlaut Borgs, <laughs> like at some point when they were creating their their race, like they chose a planet, they had to choose a symbol. Who was a graphic designer before getting assimilated? Garrett? <laughs>
0: Garrett, you were a graphic designer, weren't you? Yeah, it was... Uh... <laughs> I designed some like icons for a couple of different apps before before I got assimilated.
1: You know what? I I left because they were going super skeuomorphic and that uh that just wasn't me, you know? I'm
0: much more into the flat design aesthetic. You know? <laughs> just admit that this is a different this is a technology that is distinct from physical devices.
1: And so at the end of season 6, the throw to to be continued is a not veiled threat at all by data
2: the sons of Sung have joined together and together we will destroy the federation
0: did you like this episode ben i think it's a fun episode it's a little bit like like we've talked about this a couple times with episode arcs where it feels a, a bit like it's doing nothing but set the table. There's not yeah. a lot of arc to this one. It doesn't pay anything off. It just sets up. And like that can work and I feel like maybe it doesn't work that well here, but it is, you know, exciting to watch and and fun and and uh they do they do a nice job of like having having different borg different behaving borgs be a an exciting you know new way to think about them so uh yeah i mean it's not a mountain app for me but i i like it
1: yeah it seemed like as an antagonist the only hope you had against the borgs was was the idea that you could somehow exploit the weakness that they had which was their interconnectedness and their and their slowness and when right. you take away those two things you sort of make them into an unbeatable enemy. And that part really excited me. Like, I Mm -hmm. was super down with that. But the thing about this episode that frustrated me time and time again was how awful of a captain Picard was the entire time. (laughs) He's supposed to be working with the fleet on this problem. Nachev beamed herself over and told him as much. Like we got a bunch of ships out here. We realize you're going to be the closest one, but like at no point does he consider bringing in other ships. The idea of, of beaming his entire ship's complement down to a planet and then leaving Beverly in charge. Like that's what the saucer section is for, right? Split the (laughs) ship up, send half of the ship back home and then keep a well defended ship in orbit to give you some cover fire for the people down below.
0: And a thing to beam back up to.
1: Yeah, there's so many things that he chooses to do here that just make no sense to me at all. And finally, like going into a building, he, Jordy, and Troy, like they don't tell anyone before they go in. It makes no sense. So you might think that I dislike the episode after all that criticism, (laughs) but I still like there's enough good about it that it's a it's a pretty tasty treat. And yeah. there's a, there was a little bit of sadness here too, watching it. Like this is, this is the last season finale, last conventional season finale that we're going to get. And so to see them throw to To Be Continued one last time, like with that sort of break that they had built in, I don't know, got a little sad.
0: Yeah, man. Bummer. Yeah. Well, should we uh, cheer ourselves up with some priority one messages, Adam?
1: Yeah, do you want to tell the rest of the fleet we're going to check our priority ones?
0: No, let's just do it without (laughs) asking.
1: (laughs) Great.
2: Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a
0: supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages. On the docket today The first one is from Your hubby It is of a personal nature And it's for Laurel Here's the message I was on second shift and couldn't be home When the first season came out So you put the TV on the folding chair And held the receiver up to the speaker You narrated, commented, and explained The sound effects Luckily no one in the office noticed the long calls Every Monday night There's no doubt I married the right one Happy 30th, darling. Wow. Man.
1: That reminded me of the whole being grounded and listening to an episode on the radio
0: trick. How cool yeah. is that? That's great. That is, uh, that's that's a true show of affection.
1: Man. It would be fun to hear those recordings. It's, it's got to be a little bit like book on tape, right? You're hearing show and then you're hearing someone describe action.
0: Yeah. I just gotta say, like, hubby has a, has a solid one in Laurel, because my wife would never do something like that for me.
1: How long would it take for your wife to hang up on you if you had tried
0: this? <laughs> <laughs> she would find a way to hang up before I even asked. Yeah. <laughs> do we have a second message, Adam? Sure do, Ben.
1: Our second message is of a personal nature. It is from the Chris who is becoming an in-law, and it is for Perry with an A. Silky Perry. Secretly jacked Perry with the foot pervert cat. <laughs> Message goes like this Thanks for being at my Klingon bar mitzvah. Your wife has Riker consented to us nerding out at family gatherings. <laughs> so I wanted to formalize our batty bench status. I can't flirt like Raz and Plavim or afford a real doll, but with you there, my wedding will be more fun than a knock barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to future adventures Orb touching And all of the space buttholes
0: Wow Chris and Perry really have some big plans
1: <laughs> That's a list with a number of checkboxes And uh, they got some work to do
0: You've touched my heart And while I normally charge Quite handsomely for my real dolls I've decided to give you one for free Chris and Perry
2: the one thing that I cannot give you are the bodies of the Hoosnach to make your barbecue with. You see, I've destroyed all of these bodies. None of them exist anywhere.
0: That said, perhaps that is the most tragic part of all of this because a nice <laughs> slow-cooked Hoosnach you do an offset cook on your barbecue with a Hoosnach <laughs> meat over some water and the coals on the other side with some wood chips on top bring out the smoky flavor. That's good eating.
2: I like to take some of the some of the tougher parts of the Hoosnock body and, and make stew out of them. <laughs> take two cans of cannellini beans, <laughs> a Hoosnock ham hock, <laughs> two cans of diced tomatoes.
0: <laughs> it, it goes perfectly with my wife's tea.
2: You take a loaf of crusty bread. <laughs> It'll keep you warm on a very cold day.
0: Cold Malibu day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, when it dips below 70 in Malibu, I'll put on a hooded sweatshirt and make some of my famous hooshnack stew. <laughs>
0: Well, the only way we keep warm, Adam, is <laughs> through the largesse of our viewers who go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and buy Priority One messages. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and they help us keep the lights on around here. Thanks, all.
2: You find yourself one of those great big fat hooshnacks with a largesse. <laughs> <ash. laughs> those make the best stews.
1: That's not what largesse means.
0: I know that. One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make. When we do a Code 47 episode, people send in handcrafted stuff all the time and. They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March twenty-first.
0: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
1: nothing. We're all set for Max Fund Drive to start on Monday, March eighteenth. I just didn't want you to see this coming.
0: Check. What? Hang on. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
1: Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk schmota?
2: Drunk Shimoda Take
1: important stuff, stack it up, doesn't give a fuck everybody's drunk in Tasha Yars,
2: getting robot hump Ben 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 L the drunk Shimoda D drunk Shimoda
0: I did Adam um, if you set your episode to the like twenty-five minute and thirty second mark this is when the uh, when they have the f- fight in orbit with the Borg's ship. They've stationed a security guard on the bridge, and there's this like Eric Estrada security guard off in the corner. Uh, he he takes a Borg torpedo in this fight, <laughs> and the second the the fighting has settled down a guy comes from around the corner to replace him <laughs> i just love the idea that there were actually two security guards up there but one of them was hiding until his friend died what's the time code on this you're looking for like 26 minutes and and like 2 seconds when replacement guy comes out it's just a real fun bit of business <laughs> it's so dumb <laughs> <laughs> god there
1: is kind of a lot happening in the background of this scene
0: it's a it's a busy scene
1: there is a real dopey looking guy back there uh at, at, who i think is your shimoda right standing over the the downed comrade
0: uh you mean the the blue shirt
1: no the guy next to the blue shirt the uh yeah the guy yeah. in gold oof yeah that guy is my drunk shimoda <laughs> that's a great shimoda my Shimoda is Picard for basically making five terrible decisions all in a <laughs> row toward the end of this episode. His decisions don't make any sense. At least in first contact, you could say that he was acting vengefully and the, and that was like the engine of his motivation. I don't know right. what his motivation here is. He doesn't appear to be under schedule or mission pressure from Nachev, so that doesn't seem to be a factor I think he's just kind of fucking up. He's in one of those like decision spirals where I know this happens to all of us from time to time where you make like five or six bad ones in a row. And
0: yeah, it's called the greatest generation, Adam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, (laughs) The greatest generation, 152 bad decisions in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Picard back on the board for me. My drunk Shimoda. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben?
0: The next episode is Season 7, Episode 1, Decent, Part 2. <laughs> Picard, Troy, and Joidi are held prisoner by Data, who has left the entrepreneur to join his evil brother, Lore as leaders of the Borgs. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I remember it as being
1: Part 2 of the cliffhanger to the end of Season 6. Decent, part one. (laughs) But other than that, not really. You know, I've seen Best of Both Worlds 40 times. (laughs) I think it says a lot that I've seen Decent 1 and 2 maybe four or five times. You know?
0: Yeah. Is your episode odometer uh, similarly skewed? Well... The thing that I kept waiting for in this episode was Hugh showing back up, and he didn't. And I remember him being part of this arc, so I am excited to see him in the next episode or be confounded by how wrong I was.
1: Well, uh, much like the Borgs being uh, reloaded with with little mini photons, so too... (laughs) Have you and I been reloaded with vetoes, Ben? Care to use one on episode one of season seven? Mm, I wouldn't use it on this personally. Yeah, me neither. I would like to preserve the continuity of a to be continued.
0: Man, I totally forgot about vetoes. I feel like we had them, we last had them so long ago.
1: Yeah, really quick burnout on those last time. Yeah. Well,
0: we'll, well carry uh, them on. We will carry them on. Okay, uh, that will be the next episode. In the meantime, you can uh, chat with us using the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Adam is at CutForTime. I'm at BenjaminR, A-H-R. There's also a terrific Facebook group, a great Reddit group, and a Wikia page. All splendid places to kill a few hours of a day online. We should thank Jerk Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for a lot of the custom music you hear throughout the program. If you like what we did here we would really appreciate
1: you supporting the show in one of a couple of ways. Uh, you can go to maximumfundorg slash donate to support the production of our show. Uh, we also have merchandise items at the Max MaxFun store and we're also going out on tour so we'd love to see about as many of you as possible out there. will be in the Midwest and the East Coast. So, pick up
0: a ticket. Come say hi. Bit.ly slash ggtour2017 for that tour. It's almost here, Ben. We should
1: probably start uh, pre-production on that.
0: Uh, alright. Well, whatever you say. (laughs) With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and an episode of The Greatest Generation that uh, I hope has hue in it, otherwise, I'll feel like a real idiot.
1: OptimumFun.org.
2: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
1: Listener supported.